Well, if you have a Bible with you, open to First uh, Timothy chapter two, verses one to seven. First Timothy two one to seven. It's page nine ninety one of the Church Bible. If you uh, would like to use that, it's right under the seat somewhere there in front of you. The black hardback book there is the Bible, page nine ninety one. But First Timothy two one to seven. And as you're turning there, I'll ask you this question. I don't want you to answer out loud this question, okay? But if you were the one responsible for delivering Christmas gifts by sleigh all over the world on Christmas Eve, who would be on your naughty list? Who? Yeah, that, we, don't, we don't need to know. I, it's, I, that's on a need-to-know basis only, and we do not need to know. Uh, you need to know. You need to know. But um, would there be whole groups of people who would be bypassed as you are making out your list? Like nobody in association with certain groups would make the list. They'd make the naughty list, but they'd not make the Christmas delivery list. Would there be entire countries that you would just fly over? That you'd never even make landing within those borders because you would know nobody there is on the good list. Well, I've already sort of pointed us in this direction that this morning's passage reminds us uh, that when the church of Jesus goes to prayer, whoever is on our blacklist gets moved onto the prayer list. Whoever's on the blacklist gets moved to the prayer list. And so let's look at 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 7 together with that message in mind. And if you're able, I'm going to ask that you'll stand in honor of the reading of God's word and just in attention, attentiveness and reverence uh, for what he has to say to us. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 2, hear the word of the Lord. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we are grateful for your word as we always say and we recognize that we are indeed so free to read it. We have it so available in so many translations, study versions, devotional versions, digital versions, print versions, online, handheld, that it is so available to us that it is at risk of becoming so familiar to us that we lose our sense of awe that it is you speaking to us in it. So God, we pray that you would awaken us right now as our minds might even be tempted um, to be distracted by any number of cares or concerns outside of here. 
that our minds might race ahead of us to what lies in store this afternoon or this week. And yet right now, we want you to arrest our attention, to be captivated by your word, that you might minister truth to us and life to us. And so we ask you would speak, Lord, your word by your spirit, through your servant, to your people, for your glory. And God, I ask as always, you'd move me out of the way and speak as only you can, using my voice as an instrument to communicate to your people. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, in, in the opening verses um, of this letter, we learned about the, the setting or the occasion of Paul's letter. And you remember he had gone to Macedonia and reminded Timothy in this letter, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain people not to teach any different doctrine. There's false teaching going on. And so uh, Paul's writing, writing the letter to urge him to remain there um, sort of in opposition to that, uh, to, to stabilize or correct that. But it's actually about the halfway point of the letter that we find out what Paul's overarching purpose is in writing. So he gets a good way into it in the end of chapter 3, in verses 14 and 15, he says this, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave or conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. I hope to come to you soon, but if I'm delayed, I'm writing so that you'll know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, how the people ought to conduct themselves, not only in the house of God, as we, as we think of it in a house of worship, but just the household of God, the family of faith, how we ought to conduct ourselves, particularly our life together. That's his purpose in writing is to give some instruction in those regards. And his first point of instruction is right here about how the church ought to pray and specifically how the church ought to pray for other people. And in essence, in essence he tells us uh, this message in, in really two points or can be summarized in two points. And that is, number one, that our prayers for people should be totally inclusive. And that number two, our prayers for people should be gospel focused. Okay, our prayers should be totally inclusive and they should be gospel focused. And so I'm going to unpack it under those headings first, considering the fact, um, sort of briefly here, but that our prayers for people should be totally inclusive. You see here the word all appears four times in this passage. All people, all who are in high positions, uh, all people again, and then just all. Very uh, comprehensive in its scope. The, the Greek word for all is, is sometimes used uh, to mean each and every one, sometimes the whole thing, and sometimes it means all kinds of a certain thing. We do the same thing in English. We might say, um, I spent all my money at the county fair. Well, that probably means I spent all my money at the county fair, especially if I'm uh, you know, 12 or 13 years old. I don't have any bills or coins or anything left. I spent every bit of it at the county fair. But if I said, uh, yeah, we were at the stadium, the ball game, and, and uh, when so-and-so came out, uh, all the people in the stadium erupted in cheers and applause. 
Well, that communicates that the, the, the whole stadium did and overwhelmingly and in general ever did. We don't know that every single person in the stadium did, but that's not the point. It means the whole stadium. So we use language that way as well is my point. Um, but there are examples of that in, uh, in the New Testament of that sort of variety. And for example, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, uh, there's a verse that you and I probably first heard in the King James Version, even though we didn't necessarily know it's King James Version. We probably heard this in some cases, didn't even know it was from the Bible. Uh, but it's where it says that the love of money is the root of all evil, right? In the King James. But modern translations render it, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Because not every single act of evil results from the love of money, right? There's evil that results from pride, from a love of power, from just hatred and evil. I mean, evil is rooted in a number of other sins, but the love of money is capable of producing every sort of evil. And so it's a root of all kinds of evil. You following with me so far? Oh, that's the sense of the word here in 1 Timothy chapter 2. That in verses 1 and 2, particularly verse 1, where he says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. The, 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 the summation of that is, pray all kinds of prayer for all kinds of people all kinds of prayer for all kinds of people. There's some redundancy even in the use of those words. Um, supplications and intercessions and thanksgivings are kinds of prayers, but he mentions prayers too. But the point is, all kinds of prayers for all kinds of people. Don't be restrained at all in your prayers for people. Pray for people like Paul, who were blasphemers of God and insolent opponents. Do you remember that last week? Persecutors of the church. Pray for them. Pray for people like, verse 2, kings and all who are in high positions, that we may live a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Kings and those who were in high positions were not apt to, to treat Christians with any sort of favor or compassion or anything of the like in the New Testament era and in the life of the early church. In fact, the, the early church was, was certainly well acquainted with persecutors and oppressors and others who didn't like them. And we know, we'll get to this a little bit more in a minute, but we know how easy it is not to pray for people who are not kind to us. Of course, we know how easy it is not to pray don't we? That's really probably another sermon. But I mean, but it's especially easy not to pray for people who treat us unkindly or unfairly and that sort of thing. Well, that was the life of being a Christian in the first century, in the early second century. Uh, for a large part of the first three centuries of the church. Uh, people who even just mocked and scorned them, if not treated them uh, worse than that. And so um, I want to read a little excerpt from a letter that was written early in the second century. I actually cited this one time before. It's probably been about a year and a half ago. But it was um, an early church document called um, 
Well, it was just the epistle to Diognetus. It was written by an anonymous uh, fellow who says he was an apostle, or sorry, um, a disciple of the apostles. So this is somebody influenced very early in the life of the church and becomes a leader in some respect, and then um, writes a letter to Diognetus in the early 100s. Uh, and so he's describing the, the sort of the status of Christians at that time. What's life like as a Christian? And he says this of Christians, they love all men and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They're put to death and restored to life. They are poor, yet make many rich. They are in lack of all things, and yet abound in all. They are dishonored, and yet in their very dishonor are glorified. They are evil spoken of, and yet are justified. They are reviled, and yet they bless. They are insulted, and repay the insult with honor. They do good, and yet they are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice, as if quickened into life. They are assailed by the Jews as foreigners and are persecuted by the Greeks. Yet those who hate them are unable to assign any reason for their hatred. That doesn't sound like a real attractional kind of Christianity, does it? Like the kind of coffee you serve in the lobby doesn't have anything to do with whether or not you want to become part of that community. It comes at high cost. And we might mention sort of uh, parenthetically, were they persecuted by every single person in, on the earth? It says we were, they're, per, they're persecuted by all, and yet they love all. Were they persecuted by every single person on the earth? No, that's not the point. But in every sphere of life, Christians were held in disfavor. And even though this was written several decades after 1 Timothy was written, it shines light on the status and circumstances of the early church. You see, in other words, the, the, the church that Timothy is ministering to, that Paul is writing into, much, like, uh, much more likely lives a life close to what was just described in this letter to Diognetus than the one that, that you and I live. Christians were disfavored in all social circles, and yet they're commanded to pray for people in all social circles. Let's see, the, the ones described in this uh, early letter that we just read, not only pray for them, but bless them and love them in ways that are hard to imagine. And so the, the, the message there is, there shouldn't be anyone that we're not willing to pray for and even eager to pray for. This is, this is the command. It's unambiguous right there in verse 1 of 1 Timothy chapter 2. I urge that prayers of all kinds be made for all people. There's nobody who stays on the naughty list. If they're on the naughty list, take them off the naughty list, put them on your prayer list. And think about how how comprehensive that is, how totally inclusive that is. That would include 
Muslim extremists around the world. And frankly, all the other Muslim non-extremists, because we, we sometimes are guilty of lumping everybody into one category and being fearful um, and sort of looking with spite upon people that we think, again, are our enemy. But even if they are, we pray for them too. I mean, again, in the Bible, we don't see just about anything any closer to ISIS than we do Saul, the persecutor. Julie mentioned it earlier. We looked at his conversion last week. Right? He's, he is active and committed to dragging Christians back to Jerusalem to be persecuted. Jesus saves him right in the middle of that. And you remember the other part that we didn't really unpack last week is he says, go into the city, see a guy named Ananias. Well, Jesus had already spoken to Ananias and said, hey, go to uh, the house of, uh, I believe it was Simon the Tanner. This guy, Saul of Tarsus, is coming. And Ananias says, Lord, I... I've heard about Saul of Tarsus. I don't want to be involved. And he says, go anyway. That's the paraphrase. Go anyway. He involved somebody personally and actively, not only in prayer, but actually in face-to-face encounter. Involved somebody who didn't want to be involved. So, Muslim extremists around the world, your political adversaries. I know, I told you not to say it out loud because I know some of you on your naughty list, at the top of the list would be the party leaders of the other party, whichever party you're, you know, whichever party you're you're a friend of, the party leaders of the other party go at the top of the naughty list probably because this is certainly the way the heart of our culture is conditioned right now. It would include praying for people in Hollywood and the media that we think of as being so anti-Christian and want to marginalize Christians and Christian values and Christian voices and that kind of thing. And of course, it would include anybody else that we think of as opposed to our views and values. Maybe, maybe we should have some prayer lists printed up, you know, blank, blank lists for us to make a prayer list out, but at the top, there's a notice of non-discrimination. Have you seen those? You know what I'm talking about? Have you seen them on websites or job applications or college applications and that kind of, the notice of non-discrimination. And so it might say the church of the living God in voicing its prayers does not discriminate on the basis of race, color, ethnicity, national origin, religion, political affiliation, income status, moral conduct, kindness or unkindness toward us or anything that we consider irksome to us. Everybody qualifies for the prayer list. It's totally inclusive, but secondly and quickly, our our prayers for people should also be gospel-focused. So we looked at verse 1 there, but verse 7 provides the other bookend of the passage um, where Paul says, For this I was raised up as an apostle, a teacher to the Gentiles. I was raised up to go to all people. So you pray for all people. 
This is the, the gospel is really at the heart of what he's already writing about and the reason why he's concerned about the different doctrine that's being taught in the first place is it's a, it's a perversion and a distraction from the message that's supposed to be at the core of what they're teaching and what they're responding to. I'm going to all people. You pray for all people. And, and in between there, in verses 3 through 6, it says these, these prayers are pleasing to God because God desires people of all kinds to be saved and Christ died for people of all kinds to be saved. So you pray for them, I'll go to them. But if we, if we don't pray for people, we will not go to people. If, if, we, if we will not pray for people, we will not go to them. And this is just a fact. That if you won't first pray for people, you won't go to them. We might send somebody else to them because they ask us to, but we won't go to them. And if we will not go to them, we cannot love them in any meaningful way. Not in any, not in any meaningful way. On the other hand, if we do begin to pray for all people, we will begin to care about all people. I mean, there is a correlation in both directions. I, I thought of when, when I was uh, thinking about that fact, I'm, I'm always reminded of a testimony that Jerry Cannon has given a number of times um, and, and most of you, if, if you're here and part of our church, know Jerry, who's a deacon and just a servant in a lot of places in a lot of different ways, always serving somebody somewhere. But he talked about that um, a number of years ago, he was at a men's breakfast, and John Gonzalez was there. John was serving on the school board at Myrtle Grove Christian School at the time, and he handed out some little slips of paper with names, uh, first names of students at the school and said, you guys pray for these students. Take some names and pray for them. Well, Jerry did. And he started praying for these students. And he said, you know, it doesn't take long. After a while, you pray for people, you start caring about them. And so before too long, Jerry was on the school board too. <laughs> and still is. And it's been, that's probably been 10 years or so ago. And I don't know how long it's been. It's been a lot of years always more years than it seems like at this point in life, right? If we begin to pray for people, we'll begin to care about them. And then we'll go to them. And of course, it, it is in the going uh, that we obey the command that Jesus gave us. And so maybe, uh, maybe we could just, uh, let's start small, okay? Okay. Uh, Maybe you can begin by praying regularly by name for your neighbor or neighbors. Some of you may need to take the pre-step of learning the name of your neighbors. Right? And then, and then beginning to pray for them. But really, I, I'm seriously, like, uh, in other words, that it's not somebody far off. We want to pray for people far off as well. And we want to pray for the people that we, 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 we dislike to some degree, even though we don't know them personally. We want, to, we want to pray for all people. But we might first, and, 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 and in, the most, and in the simplest way, begin to make that 
uh, real to us by learning the names of our neighbors and just beginning to pray for them regularly as we do perhaps for our family, for people in our church community and that kind of thing. Pray for our neighbors and see if that doesn't change our heart toward our neighbors. Somebody that you know or see frequently enough um, that as God changes your heart toward them, there will be opportunity for you perhaps to respond in some other way out of love for them. So I want to conclude uh, by reading together um, a couple of sections, little paragraphs out of our confession of faith about the gospel of the love of God and missions. The Westminster Confession of Faith concludes with chapter 35 about the gospel of the love of God and missions that says this is the heart of God and so the command of his people is to respond with our prayers, with our contributions, and again with our hands and feet. And so let's uh, make this our confession together um, as we conclude and move to the Lord's table. I wanted to be sure it was up here on the screen. And so would you read with me aloud and together reading? In the gospel, God declares his love for the world and his desire that all men should be saved, reveals fully and clearly the only way of salvation, promises eternal life to all who truly repent and believe in Christ, invites and commands all to embrace the offered mercy, and by his Spirit accompanying the word, pleads with men to accept his gracious invitation. Since there is no other way of salvation than that revealed in the gospel, and since in the divinely established and ordinary method of grace, faith comes by hearing the word of God, Christ has commissioned his church to go into all the world and to make disciples of all nations. All believers are, therefore, under obligation to sustain the ordinances of the Christian religion where they are already established and to contribute by their prayers, gifts, and personal efforts to the extension of the kingdom of Christ throughout the whole earth. And so may it be of us, as it has been for so many years of Myrtle Grove, that we are ones who will go and send. May it continue to be and always be, um, and even be reinvigorated in us a commitment to be those who respond enthusiastically to this charge. Would you pray with me? Well, Father, thank you for even just a brief uh, visit in the scriptures, God, as we're challenged uh, with the command, the urging to, to pray for all people. And Lord, I know that there are those people who would come to our hearts and minds that we know, honestly, we don't so much want to pray for. In some cases, the only prayers we would want to offer is for you to smite them. But God, would you incline our hearts the way that Jesus' heart was and what he even commanded the church himself to do, to pray for those who persecute us. 
that the early church might be a model for us in how we walk that out. And God, in the most wonderful way, that as you change our heart toward our neighbors, toward other people uh, that we think of as our adversaries, Lord, that you begin to change the whole of who we are and make us more like Jesus. That is what we desire, even though we sometimes um, stand in our own way in enabling that to happen. And so God, would you uh, bring people to mind that need regularly to be brought to our prayer closet that you are invited to work in their lives and that we are ready uh, to respond to your invitation and command to participate with you in that work. So we thank you, Lord, for uh, this time, for this message. I pray, Lord, that you would seal it in our hearts and minister it individually according to our needs. In Jesus' name. Amen.